last week, we started this series called Whatever You Do. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, a city that is filled with Roman and Greek ideas and ways of living, idolatry and all the stuff that comes along with it in that context and in that culture. And you have this group of Jesus believers, those who are answering the call on their hearts to serve God and to be his people, a kingdom people. And it's hard and it's challenging. And they're struggling with this transformation that's happening in their hearts and in the way that they live as they move from pagan ways of understanding and living into the Christ way, the gospel way of Jesus. It's interesting here that in the first chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul, after he's had this greeting and he says, you've got this, you've got the spirit of God, you've got everything that you need to do this well, the first order of business that he addresses is quarrels and divisions in the church. He points out just how foolish they are and how it's not about one leader or another or a different preference about the way that things ought to happen in their fellowship. And he calls them out. He calls them out directly for suggesting that there might be a group in the church that is the real church and the rest are wrong. You see, when we allow our differences over theology and practice to take the center stage in the life of the body of believers, we are displacing the message and the power of the empty cross with the emptiness of human ideas and wisdom. At the center of the church is a cross on which Jesus died so that we can live. A tomb that is empty because Jesus was resurrected by the power of God so that our lives can be resurrected and transformed by the power of God in us through the Holy Spirit. So Paul takes on one of the first things that he sees them doing, which is fighting among themselves about irrelevant, as he would say, things. One of the things that happens in our own context here, in our community, in our society, is that there's a problem in the Christian church that people point out as to why it might not be a good idea to be a Christian. They look at the Christian church and they go, are you sure you actually believe what you say you believe? Because when we look at the church, this is what we see. Ernie, can you put that slide up? This is what we see. We see splits and divisions, all kinds of denominations with all kinds of different names, and they call each other names, or they accuse one another of heresy. And often there's accompanying that real text of accusing others of heresy, there's that subtext of saying, and we are the one true church. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to do it 
this way. You look at that uh, graphic that's up there on this screen, and if you're wondering where we are on that line, we're number two from the top there, Anabaptism, which was a group that comes out of the Great Reformation. And now there's a whole bunch of different, these are the main branches of Christianity, and there's, a, there's like a dozen of them. But then if you look at the Reformation itself, which we come out of in the next slide, it gets even worse. We have all of these different groups and people calling themselves the true church of Christ. Why are there so many denominations? I hear that over and over, especially from young voices. I don't get it. I just want to follow Jesus. Why are there all these different churches? Well, there's a few reasons, and not all of them are bad reasons. Sometimes it's just the result of a difference in context. There's a group that worships in one language, language or another, and it makes sense that they would follow their own stream or something that suits the culture and place that they live in. Sometimes there are new churches or new denominations that arise out of church plants that are independent of other churches that have come before. And so you get some variation and difference. That's one reason. Often, the reason that there are splits and different denominations is due to theological differences. Disagreements or differing interpretations about what Scripture says or what Scripture is. Or what does baptism mean and who should be baptized and how? What does it mean when you take communion or don't? And how exactly are you being saved by Jesus? Is it this way that God works to save us from our sins and give us new lives? Or is it that way? Or maybe it's a combination of that one and that one. And so you get these differences. And so when we can't agree, they say, well, you go that way and I'll go this way. And sometimes that happens naturally and well, and often it does not. There's a third reason why there are many denominations and different churches out there. Sometimes it's actually due not to theology or to context. Sometimes it's due to personalities and disagreements that cannot be resolved, hearts that are hard, or desire to be the ones who decide to have control, very human reasons. All of this, this division, this separation, gives pause to the community around us. Why should we believe this? Why should we be part of this church or that church? You guys can't even agree amongst yourselves. Here in southern Manitoba, there are dozens, I'm going to say, I say that just off the top of my head, but there are dozens of different Mennonite and Anabaptist groups here in Manitoba. We come from a Mennonite heritage, Mennonite brethren, which is part of that Anabaptist stream of theology. But in all of these churches, every once in a while, there is an attempt for us to say, you know what, we all 
have come from the same theological heritage and the same context and and now more or less from the same language, maybe we can actually work together more effectively and maybe we ought to join. Not too long ago, uh, there were two Mennonite denominations here in Manitoba that were very, very similar in alignment very, very similar in their statements of belief and practice. And they often were all in the same community and their churches were often very small. And they began as leaders to talk about, well, why don't we join together? It makes more sense for us to do this together than apart. And so the leaders of these two denominations, Mennonite denominations here in Manitoba, got together they sent all of their ministers to a meeting together to talk through what it would look like if we could unite and we could be together as the church of Christ. The talks went well. There was a lot of agreement. They were able to work through many of the concerns or challenges that they faced. And then, as they came to the end of their time together, the one denomination which was slightly larger was the one hosting this, these meetings. And it came time for the ministers to share in communion together as was their practice. As the communion was passed around, those who were distributing the, the bread and the cup skipped over the ministers of the other denomination because in their understanding, only members of our church can participate in communion together because it's a fellowship thing. Needless to say, those two denominations continue to walk separately here in Manitoba. Now, whether that was deliberate, whether it was a mere human oversight or not, an understanding about how we practice this or that, a very small pragmatic thing, meant that unity, which was being worked at, did not happen. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, Paul writes to the church and he says, I appeal to you brothers and sisters by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you but that you be knit together in the same mind and the same purpose. He's reminding them that though there are preferences, though there are different ways of seeing things, and different ways of living out faith, we have a common purpose, we have a common calling, and we have a common Lord. And in unity, God is honored. And as we know from the title of this sermon series, whatever you do, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, whatever you do, do it all for what? the glory of God. There is a powerful force in our society right now which is at work in our lives and I would say infects many of us in the church today. That is the force of factionalism and picking sides. 
Oh, we love to pick sides. And I think we are in a context now, as we've talked often about polarization. The sides are further apart than they have ever been. And we as the church have often bought in to that way of thinking. This is not what Paul is calling us to. The scriptures call us to unity, being of the same mind and the same purpose. This week, as I was preparing for this, an article just came across my desk in my news feed. And it was an article called, Six Heretics Who Should Be Banned from Evangelicalism. A Lesson in Consistency. Now, you may think that this is someone calling for there to be action taken about voices that ought not to be in the church. And maybe you have a list of which voices those ought to be. There's always someone who's been getting attention about who ought to or who ought not to be listened to. Whether it's Rob Bell because of what he says about hell and eternity. Rachel Held Evans as her position on inclusion and affirmation of LGBTQ persons in the church. Whatever it is, there's always an issue There's always a reason why this person or that person ought not to be part of one of those voices that we listen to. The question that was on the screen before is, who is a pastor or Christian leader that you like to listen to, that challenges and encourages you? And I know there are many, many pastors out there that have better sermons than me, that are more intelligent than me, that have bigger churches than we do and whose voice just has that quality that makes you think, yeah, I think God is talking. The truth is that all leaders are human. All leaders are fallible. And often it's because they are at a distance that we like them so much, but if they were up close, perhaps it wouldn't be quite so shiny. Anyway, these six heretics in this article, the article actually was pointing out the inconsistency in the church, the tendency to pick on certain voices and names, but not on others. And they said, if we're going to do this, okay, if we're going to call out these leaders or those leaders for having incorrect views, and that means we need to cancel them from our Christian conversations, then he suggests six names that ought to be included on that list. Voice number one, C.S. Lewis. Has anyone ever heard of C.S. Lewis? Many of you have read them. I think one of our groups might actually be studying a C.S. Lewis book right now. C.S. Lewis, he was an inclusivist. Huh? What's that? Well, maybe you should find out. But he also disagrees with the idea of penal substitutionary atonement which is a very particular way about talking about how Jesus pays the price for my sins so that I don't pay that price and I am free to become a child of God. He didn't see things that way. He thought that that worked a different way. Luther, Martin Luther. Anybody heard of Martin Luther? Martin Luther did not believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. Oh, well, what about Calvin? John Calvin, you know John Calvin? 
Did you know that he was all in on the burning of heretics? Ah, how does that make you feel? Okay, those are relatively modern leaders. Yes, it's 500 years ago, but modern, right? What about St. Augustine? St. Augustine did not believe in a seven-day creation. He thought it was ridiculous. If you don't believe me, go look it up. William Barclay. How many people here know the name of William Barclay? If you've ever studied the scriptures and tried to understand what was in the Bible, you've probably met William Barclay. He has this series of, uh, uh, what do we call it, commentaries? Those, those little ones, they're blue or yellow, depends which year you got. Almost every pastor I know has that, those books on in their shelf. William Barclay is a universalist. What's a universalist? A universalist is someone who thinks that in the end, everyone will eventually be saved because God, is, God has the power to do that and he will make it happen. Not everyone agrees. John Stott, a prominent evangelical, is an annihilationist, which means that he thinks that, that, he thinks that in the end, even hell is destroyed. It's not an eternity of suffering and torment. God's mercy extends to ending even that. And because of that, he should be written off by many. Final name on the list. You're going to love this one. Billy Graham. Billy Graham is also an inclusivist. Believes in inclusivism. Which means that even if you haven't heard the name of Jesus... Even if you have never prayed that sinner's prayer, you too may be saved and be part of the kingdom of God. Hear this quote from Billy Graham himself. Well, Christianity and being a true believer, you know, I think there's the body of Christ. This comes from all the Christian groups around the world, outside the Christian groups. I think that everybody that loves Christ or knows Christ whether they're conscious of it or not, they are members of the body of Christ. Christ is calling out people of the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. They are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but they know in their hearts that they need something that they don't have. And they turn to the only light that they have, and I think that they are saved and that they are going to be with us in heaven. It's from an interview he gave. All of those names, well-known, well-respected leaders of the Christian church in the movement of evangelicalism of which we find ourselves a part, there's always division. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 11 through 16, it says this, It has been made clear to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul points out, Paul does this often in his letters, he points out just how ridiculous they're being. Paul and Apollos. Paul was the one who started the church. Apollos was a well, 
spoken, very highly educated leader who came to the church after and taught them. But here's the thing. Chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians tells us that Apollos is with Paul where he is now. They are working together, they are teaching together, and they are united in the ministry of the gospel. But the people in Corinth are arguing over whether they like Paul's way of teaching or Apollos' way of teaching better and identify themselves that way. Saying, I follow the way of Cephas, or I belong to Cephas, is another, Cephas is another name for Peter, who represents the Jewish church and the Jewish believers. And we know that one of the things that was going on at that time was this tension between those who were from Jewish background and those who weren't. And it's, sometimes it came out as those who were following the Jewish way of following Jesus were better. They were the real ones. And then Paul throws in, and some of you say, well, I belong to Christ. Meaning, you don't belong to Christ. None of this is about doctrine. None of this is about truth. None of this is meaningful. This is about preference, about picking sides. Is Christ divided? There's only one side here, Paul says. The gospel of Jesus' side. This doesn't just happen in denominations. This doesn't just happen in the early church. This happens here and now and today. I got an email this week from someone who's not part of this congregation here at FGMB. And that email says, what do you believe about this? Because I heard... completely untrue. When we speak unfounded rumors, when we raise doubts about the theological or faithfulness, faith integrity of people who are part of the body of Christ because we see it differently, that is division. That is choosing sides. There is only one side regardless of what we think about the scriptures saying it ought to be this way or that way, we can have profound disagreement about what the scriptures say and still be united as the people of God for the gospel of God in the kingdom of God. Theological positioning is not the primary calling of the church. Proclaiming Jesus is. Theology serves the mission of the church. Theology serves the formation of God's people into the character of Christ. The power of the gospel is demonstrated in transformed hearts and transformed lives. Hearts transformed by the gospel are not preoccupied with power plays and preferences. Paul says in verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize because they were arguing about whose baptism was better. He didn't call me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom. I think he's talking about Apollos there. Apollos, has, he had all the educations like having a Harvard professor as your pastor. 
but not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross is emptied of its power. The power comes in the person of Jesus Christ and the transformation that happens when the Holy Spirit enters your life and you submit to God through Jesus as Lord in your lives. Whenever we pick sides, whenever we allow division and factions to become center stage, we empty the gospel of its power. May we be a people who live in unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to be faithful as a church. We confess, Lord, that so many times we have gotten it wrong throughout history and even in our own personal lives where we we fall into that trap of our society that wants us to choose sides, to be for and against rather than to be united in our common calling in the only name that is worth serving, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Fort Derry MB Church. We hope that what you heard challenged you to think in new ways about Jesus Christ and the life that we are called to through his death and resurrection. If you have any questions about who we are as a church, our mission, or have any other questions in general, please do not hesitate to contact our office email at info at fgmb.ca. Be blessed.